All right, here we go. Uh, welcome back, you guys. Episode five of Some Sanity with Morgan Zeggers. I am so excited we're already into ep- episode five. I can't believe it. If you've been here from the beginning, thank you so much. If you're new, welcome. Uh, I really appreciate you guys listening. All I ask, uh, if you guys could do me a favor, leave a five-star review on the podcast platforms and then in the little review box, leave a little text message. I would really appreciate it. I guess that helps with the algorithm for newbies like myself. So thank you. And if you want the video version, remember this is on YouTube with the actual video. Uh, It's just in my office, so nothing fancy. But uh, the regular podcast version is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and I think a couple others. So pretty much all the usual podcast platforms every Wednesday morning, baby. So uh, I appreciate you guys listening in, and thanks for staying with me each week. I can't wait to see... (laughs) what happens over 2021, but let's get right into it. Honestly, another fantastic situation. I feel like this has just been, you know, a doozy of a year, just like 2020 was. Uh, We had two shootings recently in the last week. So we had the Atlanta shooting, the Colorado shootings. Are you curious as to why the left reacted in the way they did to the shooting in Atlanta and Colorado? Are you curious? Do you want to find out? Hmm. Well, stay tuned. We're going to talk about it. We are going to investigate. We're going to talk about it because I have been drawing the dots, connecting the dots between these situations, between the left's reactions to major moments of chaos and crisis and tragedy. And guess what, you guys? It's a classic tactic of cultural Marxism. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to get right into why this happened. First, though, I feel like we should just cover some of the basics of the shooting, talk about what happened, get a full understanding of what we know so far, because I, we do not want to assume too many people in the public square, too many people on social media, and especially too many political personalities on the right and left like to assume, like to jump to conclusions. And we'll get into why that happens and why I think that happens specifically, but at the end of the day, we are never going to do that on this show. We're just going to look at what's out so far. With specifically the Colorado shooting, that happened yesterday. So I'm filming this on Tuesday. It happened on Monday. It's going out this show tomorrow, Wednesday morning. So a lot could come out in the next few hours before this gets posted. If it does, just bear with me. We'll talk about it on our next episode. Maybe I'll put some selfie videos up kind of furthering the podcast, I guess. But first of all, in any situation where there is death like this, when there's a shooting, it's incredibly sad. And I feel so deeply for the families and the communities affected. Okay. That is just goes without saying. The reaction of the left has been shockingly gross, shockingly divisive to many people. Many people are like, what? How could you say that? How could you jump to conclusions? How could you make this about race? But I'll tell you what, you guys, I'm not shocked at all in the slightest, because for a while now, we have experienced the rise of cultural Marxism in America. And I want you guys to see what's happening, see why it's happening, and we can together spot it in the left's reaction to these shootings. So let's go through it. and let's really get the basics out of, for these two shootings. Let's get an understanding of what happened first before we get into the reaction of the left. So, okay, so first, last week we had the Atlanta series of shootings. And so a City Journal article by Rav Aurora breaks down the basics. I want to read this first because I thought it was a really clean-cut way of going about it. He said, quote, On Tuesday, 20-year-old 
or 21-year-old Robert Aaron Long killed eight people and injured others in a shooting rampage at three massage parlors in the Atlanta metro region. The police stopped and arrested Long on Interstate 75 on Tuesday night as he was on his way to Florida, possibly to continue his massacre, according to the Washington Post. Long is currently charged with eight counts of murder and one count of aggravated assault. Long revealed his motivations to investigators, saying he targeted the businesses for, quote, providing an outlet for his addiction to sex. Six of the eight victims of the shooting rampage were women of Asian descent and two were white men. When asked by the reporters, Cherokee County Sheriff's Captain Jay Baker stated the investigators explicitly asked Long if his attack was racially motivated. He said it was not. As the investigation proceeds, that may change, but deliberately to but deliberately to spin the story at this point as an act of white supremacist terror is irresponsible. End quote. So I thought that was a great take on it, very simple, level headed. In twenty twenty one American politics, though, that's like, Wah, how dare you say that? But um, you guys, boy, oh boy, that is exactly what the left did. So this article, I thought it did a great job of just saying it would be irresponsible to act as if it was white supremacy, considering the guy probably would have been pretty proud of himself and explained that he did it for a white supremacist reason if he had done it for that reason. But instead, it was because he had a sex addiction and he had some sort of anger that he wanted to take out on massage parlors because he saw that connection. And and so for me, it is not shocking at all that the liberal and leftist political world and the mainstream media and Hollywood did this. They were It was irresponsible, it was reckless, and it was wrong, but when has that ever stopped them before? Why would we have such high expectations for them considering everything that's happened over the last two years, and honestly throughout the last four or five years with Trump being in American politics? They have really set the bar low for themselves, so I'm not surprised when I see this stuff. Now, we have that situation where, of course, I'm sure you guys saw the uproar from the media. We're not going to go into like every single comedian and politician and everybody who said that this was a white supremacist attack on Asian women and there was Asian violence. It was all over the place, okay? I'm not going to remind you. But the fact that the guy literally came out and said, no, I have a sex addiction. I, you know, it's a mental illness. I, <laughs> I was taking my anger out on someone. That's why I killed people. They're just ignoring that and playing the race card. So that's what's really frustrating to me, especially now that it's not something where we have to guess or investigate the guys admitting why he did it. So they just completely ignored that. That was Atlanta. Now, yesterday, so on March 22nd, a Monday, we had the shooting in Colorado. And this was kind of interesting because this is the first time I've really had people that I know in that area. I just spoke there for a Turning Point USA event. And I, re- I reached out to as many people as possible that I, I remembered lived there because I was like, are you okay? Because it's kind of a small area if you think about it. And it just it really hits everybody in a very personal level. And they honestly, this stuff happens so frequently in America these days. It's, it's really scary to know that it could definitely be somebody that you know, somebody that you love, somebody um, that's really, really close to you, like a, a intimate loved one, or it could be yourself. So I would say that's why I believe in the Second Amendment, because I want to be able to protect myself when a psychopath tries to kill people. If we look in Europe, I'm going on a rampage right now, but um, if we look in Europe, they don't have 
the access to guns that Americans do, but they still go on like knife rampages and just find other ways to kill people. I think if you want to kill someone, you're going to find ways to do it. If you want to cause massive harm to a community, to a country and, and kill a bunch of people for some weird righteous cause that you believe is righteous, you're going to find some ways to do it. Okay. You're not going to just say, Oh, the government says I can't buy this, this kind of gun. Oh, I will stop my murderous rampage then. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So I, I think handling the bigger issue, the root cause of these kind of mass killings is really the bigger picture here, and we should be looking at it like that. Unfortunately, the left is so interested in playing the political game when it comes to violence that we are still in this repeated cycle. Okay, moving on to Colorado. Like I said, it happened yesterday, March 22nd, on a Monday. Here's what you need to know. The shooter was 21-year-old Ahmad Alisa. I think I'm pronouncing that right. He's now in custody and is charged with 10 counts of murder. Yesterday, on the 22nd, he began firing in a King Supers grocery store in Boulder, and now 10 people are dead, including a police officer. A staff article from the National Post, uh, the National Pulse, really broke the situation down well in my eyes. And uh, keep in mind, more information is still coming out by the hour, but I want you guys to fully understand this specific situation because it's just kind of unfolding. We kind of already saw what happened with uh, the Atlanta shooting and, you know, the multiple shootings there. But this is still all happening in real time. Information is still coming out with Colorado. So I want you guys to read this article with me quick. Uh, it goes, quote, Ahmad's purported Facebook page, which has now been removed, included a lot of anti-Trump messaging as well as pro-Islam messages. Like clockwork, the narrative is already shifting to mental illness, with Al-Isa's brother calling him, quote, very antisocial and paranoid, adding that in high school, he would describe, quote, being chased, someone is behind him, someone is looking for him. His brother told the Daily Beast, when he was having lunch with his sister in a restaurant, people in the parking lot, oh, he told his sister that people in the parking lot, they're looking at me. And so she went out, there was nobody in the parking lot, and, uh, his brother says that they didn't know what happened and what was going on in his head. Uh, they just assumed that it was mental illness and that he, he truly is a mentally ill person who feels like people are always coming after him. So that's pretty important information. People, of course, are going to try and politicize this. They're going to say, oh, it was an anti-Trump thing. You have the left saying that this was another you know, white supremacist attack. But what happened is once it started to come out that he was not a white guy, it kind of ruined all of their all of their... <laughs> all of their talking points and so it was a little too late for them though they had already put the tweets out you know what i mean people are so quick to want to be the first one to have the spicy hot take on social media that oh he wasn't even a white guy so we're gonna get into that but here's my initial take on this uh people these days want instant results they want instant gratification and because of social media and because of technology we have absolutely no patience and i think just the deterioration of our culture and and of our moral ground we also lack grace and understanding that you know we don't deserve to have all the information immediately it's not possible sometimes to get it and instead of getting mad instead of demanding things we just need to be patient sometimes you know what i'm saying not a crazy concept but our technology and our social media grant us instant results with so many things in our lives, so many things that we want. And we've become accustomed to that. And that makes sense. You know what I mean? So just because it's something that we expect now does not mean we are 
always going to get the immediate answers that we want or demand. And national tragedies like a mass shooting and situations where a lot of people are dying and you have like one person to blame and you don't exactly know why someone would go out and kill 10 people in one instance. It's a scary situation and it's a situation where we should never jump to conclusions ever. And that's exactly what happens every time. So exactly what shouldn't be happening is actually exactly what ends up happening. And it does so much damage, I think, because now look at us. We're just arguing back and forth at each other about politics when in reality 10 people died and we should be trying to figure out what's wrong with our society to make it so that we have such a weirdly high level of mass killings. You know what I mean? Maybe we should just talk about it like that instead of blaming each other for the talking points that we quickly jump to. My other thing is that, like, is it that we're too blind by our politics, that we want to be so divisive with each other, we want to hate the other side so much that we don't really care about, you know, the tragedy that happened. We're just more so looking to see what the other side's going to say about it, and we're anticipating how they're going to politicize it, and we want to be able to exploit that and make fun of them and, and call them out for it before the facts even come to the surface. Or, I have another concept, is it that the internet political personalities and the sites want to be the first one to get the juicy hot take? They want to be the first one to break the news, to have the hot take on the issue, to get that hot content out there that becomes one of the first takes on the issue. So really getting the views, getting the hits. I would say that's a big part of it too. People don't want to wait for the facts to come out. They're willing to risk being completely wrong and tarnishing their reputation because the pace of social media is so fast. People are going to forget that you got this wrong, that you had to delete a tweet, that you that you got a complete a story completely wrong in a matter of a week. They're going to completely forget. The news cycle is so fast-paced. You don't really have to worry about your reputation being tarnished as much as it would have been back in the day if you printed a completely false story about uh, about the desires of a mass shooter. So I think people are, uh, first of all, blind by the politics, blinded by the division. And I also think they're just so interested in being one of the first people to have a hot take on social media that they're pretty much willing to risk any reputational damage that could come their way for putting out false information. Because all it really is is you delete a tweet and you go, sorry about that, I didn't have the full context or <laughs> something like that. They just put out some fluff thing when in reality you're spreading massive lies and we're going to look into some of them in a little bit. Um, on top of that, I would also say people just love getting mad these days. You know what I mean? We have this outrage culture where as soon as something is done wrong, we have to cancel them. We have to stop buying products from that company. We have to have immediate, drastic, dramatic change. And sometimes life just is more nuanced. The solution is more nuanced. The conversation that we have to have is more nuanced. You can't just have a black and white um answer to everything. And I think so many people want that, especially with 21st century outrage culture on the internet. Love the internet. I would honestly say it's a combination of all three of those things though. So what people are doing on social media right now, like as I'm recording this, what people are doing are looking into his social media posts. So initially what happened is we find out about the shooting, uh, the left, the liberals, they're so quick to assume that it's a white person and it's another sort of white supremacist thing. And so the whole conversation was about race, about another white guy damaging people and damaging a community, killing people, stuff like that. Then it came out 
that he was a 21-year-old guy who's a Muslim, Middle Eastern descent, uh, didn't like Trump. And so now you have people, especially on the conservative side, starting to share his social media posts and trying to get more awareness to it. I think it's interesting to look at his social media posts, and I think we all should because it's such a unique, I'm not going to say opportunity, but it's such a unique experience to look at the wording, look at the thoughts and the posts of somebody who was in such a mental state that they they murdered 10 people. You know what I mean? I It's this strange feeling that, you know what? Maybe it's helpful for us to see what was going on, to see what they were posting on the public. Maybe it's not what they were thinking on the inside of their head, but something drove them to post those social media posts. So I'm not saying, oh, let's read a social media post and then we will fully understand the situation. We'll fully understand why he would do this. I'm not saying that at all. And we never should. That I don't think that's a good habit to get into. But when we have the rare situation where we can see what a, a mass shooter thought before he did all of this before he committed these heinous crimes, I think we should do it and just learn more as a society. It's more of like collecting the data and collecting the information to get a better understanding of the general mindset somebody might be in before that situation. So here's one on Facebook that he posted. He said, quote, isn't it weird people who are always smiling and acting like they're having fun are some of the most depressed people on earth. And then people like me who don't BS every, he swore, BS everything as in don't fake smile or just act normal are some of the happiest. Hashtag still happy. Hashtag stop acting like a F-A-G. And hashtag don't take anyone's shit. See, that could mean anything. Some people are like, oh my God, he was depressed. Oh my God, he's a psychopath. But I mean, you guys, I see that kind of post quite often from people like they post a picture of Robin Williams because he was a, com- a comedian. He was such a happy guy and he ended up committing suicide. And so there's a lot of that kind of mentality on social media, I would say, of people who talk about how People have a face for the public and then they have a face for themselves. So I I don't think we can look at like emo posts on social media and be like, yep, you qualify as a mass shooter now. (laughs) And that's why people are a little also worried about this, the red flag laws, because now it's like people could be judged for those little things in the future by the government. They could be like, well, we saw this kind of emotional post that you made on social media where you shared a little TMI. And so now we don't feel comfortable giving you a gun. So like, where do you draw the line there? It could be pushed quite dangerously. So I don't think that really qualifies him. It is interesting to see that he posted that though. Um, Another Facebook post reads, the Muslims at hashtag Christchurch mosque were not the victims of a single shooter. But you guys, just a reminder, the Christchurch shootings that led to 51 people dying and 40 people injured back in March 2019. Interesting connection there with the March. Maybe that was, you know, March 2019, March 2021. He said, uh, basically, just a reminder, he's saying that it was not a single shooter. But in reality, the facts are that it was a single gunman back in 2019 at the Christchurch mosque shooting. So he kind of lied about that. Perhaps he's been researching and looking more into it. Um, that, those are kind of the ones that I had. He also just made some like anti-Trump ones, but I'm not going to read those out loud. It's kind of the basics. And so I think he called Trump a dick or something like that and shared a few of the policies that he didn't like about him, but it wasn't like, I'm going to kill Donald Trump, nothing crazy or, or violent, at least from what I've seen. It was more so just on, in terms of policy, he disagreed with Donald Trump. That's all I saw so far. Um, again, information is literally coming out by the minute, by the hour. And so, As of this moment, Tuesday, March 23rd, this is what we know. Uh, 
Now let's break down, you guys. Those were the shooting. Uh, no, those were the shooters Facebook posts that people are posting about on social media right now. But I want to dig into what the liberal journalists and what the lovely Twitter blue check mark people were saying on social media, spreading misinformation about the Boulder mass shooter. So first up, I, and these uh, guys, there was probably thousands hundreds at least of blue check marks that were saying incredibly false stuff. These are just a few, okay? These are just a few that got a little more attention from conservatives that people were kind of calling out for the misinformation. So first up, I want to call out Alex Cole, whose Twitter handle is at AC Newsitics. Ha, <laughs> news, get it? Apparently he posts about news. Uh, So he has over 100,000 followers, and he tweeted, quote, A white man walked into a grocery store in Boulder, killed 10 people, and was apprehended by the police and walked out of the building completely unharmed. End quote. Uh, As of yesterday, the tweet had 60,000 retweets and 186,000 likes. Do you see the problem there? The tweet is a complete lie. But now 60,000 people have shared it, 186,000 people have liked it, and I can't even imagine how many millions of people read it and thought it was accurate. You could just spread that kind of information, but again, his Twitter handle is about news, so that's fantastic. That's comforting. Okay, next up, Dr. Nikki Washington, who has a PhD and is the author of, quote, Unapologetically Dope, tweeted, quote, they always take care of... They always take great care to capture these white men who literally massacre people alive. But 30 miles down the road, Elijah McClain was murdered for minding his business because someone thought he looked sketchy. End quote. You guys, that's another lie. And it has 5,000 likes and 1,500 retweets from another blue checkmark, well-known person on Twitter. Again, saying that it's a white man and that he was only kept alive by authorities because he was a white man, which is a lie. Uh, next is Mina Harris, a blue check mark and New York Times bestselling author who, of course, has Black Lives Matter in her profile. She tweeted, quote, the, Atlantic sh- the Atlanta shooting was not even a week ago. Violent white men are the greatest threat to our country. End quote. Well, What's so interesting is that you had thousands of these tweets, right, claiming that this was another situation of a white guy shooting people and then being kept alive by authorities when black people and people of color would have been shot. Well, it came out right after everybody started accusing this of being a white guy situation that the guy was not a white man. He was a man of Middle Eastern descent. He is a Muslim and he hated Trump. So she, Mina Harris, later deleted this tweet and she said, I deleted a previous tweet about the suspect in the Boulder shooting. I made an assumption based on his being taken into custody alive and the fact that the majority of mass shootings in the U.S. are carried out by white men, end quote. Like, that is exactly what I'm talking about, you guys. She wanted to be the person with the hot, spicy take right in the beginning as the action was unfolding. She didn't care if she was right or wrong because all it took from her was to just post a quick little, oh, I deleted this tweet, like, sorry, I made an assumption, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) my bad. That's kind of a problem. Same thing, especially with people like Alex Cole, when 60,000 people are sharing such a false lie. So very disappointing. And last, you have John Pavlovitz, a blue check mark with over 300,000 followers. He tweeted, in America, if you're white, no matter how many people you kill, you'll be taken into custody alive. 
You love to see it, don't you? Just all the lies on social media. And then again, he's probably like, oh, sorry, I deleted a tweet. I just made a little assumption. My bad. Don't judge me. See you next week where I spread another one. (laughs) Okay, so those were kind of uh, the initial jumps that people made to immediately make it about race to attack this as if it was a situation of a white man shooting up another community when in reality it was false. Now, to them, it's like, oh, well, you know, sorry, we just had to assume because, you know, white guys are so evil and white guys are terrorists to our country now. Uh, They make those very general assumptions and dangerous assumptions about an entire race, an entire group of people in this country. Now, here's why it's bigger than just people caring about white guys shooting others in mass shootings. It's way bigger than just, you know, an issue of gun rights. This is a trend, a growing trend of cultural Marxism in America. And that's what I want to talk about with you guys next. So first, let's think of the gun control that we're going to experience. So the aftermath, if you will. The aftermath of this is going to be something along the lines of Joe Biden pushing for an executive order. I saw reports today that Jen, our lovely circle back girl, ain't no circle back girl. Um, I saw reports that she was saying, yeah, Biden is considering doing an executive order um, to limit gun purchases, to limit gun rights after these two shootings. So that's what we're going to see. I think I told you guys earlier, I might have, I say this in a lot of speeches, but a lot of the tactics of the left, the ones that I discussed as well in the episode about the tactics and the groups of the socialist movement in America, a lot of the tactics go along with seizing a moment of chaos or a crisis, if you will. So either creating the chaos, creating the crisis, or seizing the opportunity of a natural one, a natural moment of chaos and crisis. And one of my favorite stories to talk about is Vladimir Lenin. Uh, he, I think I told you guys, he was kind of like a Bernie Sanders of his day. So he wanted to be a champion of the working class. He wanted to be the man of the people. But in reality, he was pretty like well off. He was from a very well-to-do family, very well educated. And he had a lot more resources and opportunities and money than people in his time did, in his community especially. And so when an 1891 famine hit his community, he had the resources to help out. And he decided to not, even though numbers were showing that about 5 million people in Russia died because of the famine, he decided to not help out because he knew his ideas, his policy goals were so radical. The policy goals he wanted to bring with his, you know, eventual socialist communist revolution, that people had to feel really desperate and scared and desire change no matter how crazy it would seem. They would just, they would have to feel so desperate for it that they'd be willing to embrace his really radical, crazy ideas. And so he talks about he didn't help people specifically because he wanted them to be in a terrible, scared mindset where that they would be reduced to be willing to accept his radical, crazy plans. And the point of this is that in a moment of chaos and crisis, people are desperate for a sense of security or safety or positive change. And it means they are more willing to accept ideas that they usually would never support that with common sense with level-headed thinking with rationale they would not support that kind of policy or change when we think of the radical levels of gun control that the left is trying to achieve of course they're going to seize the opportunity of a very emotional population in america post 
shooting to push their gun control narrative. They push it constantly, but they use the moments of this these kind of shootings to push the narrative even further because they know that they're pushing it onto weak and emotional minds at the moment that are going to be a little less rational with their decision-making when they consider, how can we fix this problem? You know what I mean? And so that's something that we're seeing. They would never let a crisis go to waste, whether they do it with climate change, trying to push the Green New Deal, trying to say we need socialism in America to protect us from dying in 10 years from a climate apocalypse, whether they're using it as a COVID situation where they're saying people are dying, we need to all stay home and we have to completely collapse the economy because it's not safe to go outside. And even if you get a vaccination, oh, well, you could t- still pr- technically spread it. We don't exactly know the science yet. So you still have to stay quarantined too. You still have to wear your mask. You still have to stay down. What's the point of the vaccination then? You know what I mean? So they're using this moment where people are scared with COVID to hold us back, to make us agree to things, to lockdowns, to restrictions, to uh, limitations that we would never, ever agree to with common sense and if we were in the right state of mind. But everybody's freaked out because it's a pandemic. So that's what happened here. Never let a crisis go to waste. Whenever there's going to be a gun issue in America, you can bet your butt that the left is going to seize the moment of opportunity to not let that crisis go to waste while people are scared and emotional and upset and want some sort of change for the future. What's also interesting about this, before we get into the Marxism aspect, because that'll really take up you know the second half of this podcast, have I hope you guys have read this. If you haven't read this yet, there's a book called Rules for Radicals by Saul Alinsky. And one of his rules, it's kind of like a tool book for people on the left that want to become community organizers. And one of the concepts that he pushes and encourages people to do when they're organizing a community for a leftist movement is to create a group of people that aren't just focused on one specific issue. So like don't create a a movement of people that are only going to get mad about the border crisis, that are only going to get mad about immigration. Because, oh my gosh, after a year or two of pushing, of lobbying, of of door knocking, of, of advocating, of grassroots work, you're going to get people really tired. Same thing with donors. Like everybody in the movement is going to get pretty burned out and tired because it's like, ugh, we're still doing this. Have we achieved success? Have we not? What are our goals for the future? Saul Alinsky suggests to create a group of people that can immediately switch their anger to whatever news is hot that day. And so people who are able to transition their anger, their frustration, their focus to a new topic on the turn of a dime. That is the American left today. I can't think of a better explanation or description of what we are facing right now. That's how you're able to see the entire political left go one day from acting like we are facing an insurrection, thanks to you know the KKK and thanks to uh, anti-Semites who planned this whole thing to get into the Capitol and all this stuff, all this jazz. Trump tried to have some coup on the Capitol. We were having a, a de- democratic crisis, stuff like that. They go from saying that one day to saying, oh, well, now the world's going to end in 10 years because of climate change. And then they go the next day to saying, oh, the kids are dying at the border. The kids are in cages at the border. It's crisis. Now they don't care because it's Biden, right? Uh, But then they'll go and say, oh, my God, those are concentration camps at the border because we have a Republican in office. Then they'll go into saying, oh, but we had this shooting thing recently, so it's about stop Asian hate. Oh, now the next day, everybody has to post a black square on their their Instagram profile to really show that black lives matter. It's They're able to transition their passion, their focus, their care 
for politics to one specific issue on a daily basis. It changes almost by the hour, honestly. And so that's what we're seeing here as well is what were they even mad about last week? Uh, transgender issues, I think they were mad about. And then I think it was about the women's sports stuff because Christy Nome says she was going to be supporting some sort of bill. They were mad about that last week. Then next thing you know, we have this entire Asian hate thing where anybody who criticized communist China for spreading the coronavirus, including Meghan McCain, back last year when they we initially found out China lied about COVID-19 being spread from person to person, apparently now those guys are all to blame for a guy who's addicted to sex going to massage parlors and murdering the massagers, masseuse, is that what it is? Now those people are to blame for that guy killing people because he has a sex addiction and wanted to take it out on people who massage others. Now we're focusing on, oh, we have this white supremacist issue in Colorado, and it uh, turns out the guy is from the Middle East. Are we kidding? Or his his descent is from the Middle East. That's a crazy, crazy concept from Saul Alinsky that has fully come to fruition in the 2021 version of the American left. Fascinating to see. But it kind of explains of like, oh, that makes so much more sense because I used to be shocked by how quick they were able to change their passion and their fury. And now it makes total sense to know that it's like a planned tactic of leftist organizers to make sure that people are just infuriated by whatever they're told to be infuriated by that day. Um, And then, so those are kind of the two things. So like using a crisis, we see that with shootings. We see them um, having the population flip a switch and be mad about the next topic of the news cycle. And that especially happens during shootings as well. But the third really big one that I want to talk about, you guys, is this element of cultural Marxism. And that's really what we're up against, not just with shootings, not just with violence, gun violence, all that stuff, but really it's it's infiltrated every aspect of our society. And so uh, in a recent episode, I had talked to you guys about the tactics of the left, like I mentioned earlier, and one of them is Marxism. And so a quick refresher on Marxism, think of it like pitting the working class against the evil, oppressive, rich owning class, or at least that's what the left thinks of the owning class. So bosses, CEOs, people who own property, people who just have a lot of money, random stuff like that. They are the evil, oppressive owning class. Marxism believes that if you rally up the workers in the working class and you really pit them against the owning class, you are going to create the environment perfect for a workers' uprising, perfect for a workers' revolution. The workers will rise up, take control. They will then own and control all of society. So they will own the businesses. They will control the decision-making, everything like that. Um, Does this actually come to a successful a successful end as it's written on paper absolutely not because what happens is you have these leaders at the top these really corrupt socialist guys that exploit the workers the working class the workers and part of the revolution uh, they do all the kind of the groundwork and then as soon as the socialist regime is put into power whoop, you just created a dictatorship you've given them power of literally everything and just said hey, can you, you know, make sure that you give us the power, make sure that the workers get the control, and they're like, sure, buddy, (laughs) sure, just trust us, okay? Thanks for helping us make an entire government monopoly. No, you don't have any more power. We're now your employer. (laughs) Then they're the only employer. So that's kind of Marxism. So you pit people against each other uh, based on their class. What's different, and some people compare this to as well with like what we saw in Nazi Germany, 
side note, I should tell you guys a little about this. So Hitler has a lot of ties to Marxism in general. So that concept of pitting people against each other. But he was kind of one of the first examples of cultural Marxism because he brought identity into the picture. And so he didn't split people up based on class, like workers versus owners, but he did split people up based on their religion, based on their religious status. He kind of told everybody that the Jews were the evil, rich people controlling everything and and that they were the, the money people in charge of all the problems. So all that kind of mentality, and he pit them against each other. And it, obviously you had this terrible situation happen and it didn't really go the way of a Marxist revolution, But some people tie cultural Marxism to what happened under uh, Hitler's Nazi Germany. So if we look at what cultural Marxism is as a whole, it's taking the concept of the worker versus the owner, pitting them against each other, and it's removing class status and instead replacing it with uh, styles of identity. So sexual orientation, uh, gender, religion, race, all that stuff. So what makes it worse in America, you guys, is that I am a big believer in like leftists versus liberals, right? I don't think they're the same. We have to differentiate them because they are totally different. Um, But the problem is that the really woke libs in America, even if they're capitalists and even if they don't want actual socialism, their wokeness and their love for political uh, division because of their their identity politics is really assisting the cultural Marxists and the people who actually do want to have a socialist revolution because they are assisting the cultural Marxists in creating these many, many identities so that we aren't just separated by class in America. We are told to hate each other based on race, judge each other based on race, judge each other based on religion, and never judge someone by the content of their character, judge them by what they look like and what their identity is. So completely 180 from what Martin Luther King wanted, right? Um, When we think of cultural Marxism in America today, think of Black Lives Matter. And I'm not just saying, oh, they're divisive and they're evil, stuff like that. No, you guys. When they did an interview on a very leftist radio show a few years ago, the leftist host was like, hey, you guys, you get a lot of money and you have a lot of support, a lot of of publicity. You have a lot of publicity. We're concerned as a movement that you guys don't actually have an ideological framework or drive. Can you make me feel better about that? And the founders, the leaders of Black Lives Matter, they were like, oh, literally don't worry at all. We're actually trained Marxists. We're very, very driven by ideology. And so the guy's like, sweet, <laughs> right? Because he just made them, they, or they just made him feel better and more comforted, these radical leftists. And so they are trained Marxists and apparently well-versed in ideology. That is not good because Black Lives Matter is the hippity hop of America today. I mean, if you think of Black Lives Matter Plaza right before the White House, that freaks me out so much because they have the most radical agenda possible. And they do want to get rid of capitalism and replace it with socialism. On their website, they got really criticized and they ended up deleting this, but they said they wanted to attack the nuclear family structure and replace it with like community raising of children when in reality the numbers are so in favor of the nuclear family structure, the statistics that it's it's kind of disgusting that they would even advocate for something like that instead of saying, wow, we need to fix the nuclear family structure and make it stronger again, especially in black communities. But I digress. 
I have a really cool example of Marxism that I want you guys to hear. And so I, it's kind of weird, but I always look for small instances of cultural Marxism kind of taking place. And, and I do it because it helps me and others visualize the situation and see that it's becoming so normalized in our society and that it's very dangerous. So today I was um, scrolling through Twitter and I saw a really good example of kind of rejecting all considerations of someone's background, experiences, character, choices, and really only focusing on identity and race specifically. Uh, there was this woman, she goes by No Name, it's her actual name, No Name, and she's a rapper, a poet, a record producer. She has over 575,000 followers on Twitter, and she's apparently a communist and part of an organization called Blacks for Peace. So I looked at Blacks for Peace's page, and it describes them as a redeveloping, or an organization redeveloping the black radical traditions, uh, anti-war and anti-imperialist positions for today's material conditions. Uh, and then what's interesting, their Twitter location is occupied land. That's what it says. So um, interesting, I went through their page and it's pretty radical. It was just kind of linking to communists and leftist propaganda, but also like sprinkled with all the usual leftist words like justice, freedom, peace, and so on. But at the same time, like communism, <laughs> it's going to work this time. So I thought that was funny. Just another example, right? But Back to the story, our girl no name, right? She tweeted today that, quote, most of my white fans, in, in quotation marks, hate my politics because, oh, hate my politics, but happily consume my art. They dragged me when I made a political decision to not perform for predominantly white crowds, but applaud when I drop more political content. Consumption slash, slash proximity to blackness over solidarity to black people. Should, that's a lot to take in. Uh, I had to kind of think about that one for a while because sometimes I just, all this woke language, I'm like, what do you even mean? Uh, but someone on Twitter replied to No Name's tweet and said, quote, IDK, how you can be a communist and so race obsessed. Isn't class consciousness slash solidarity our goal? I don't see how ideas like this help your cause, end quote. So basically I saw this as that person calling her out for being so divisive, even though she's constantly preaching like peace, tolerance, and respect for her race and communism. Usually, you know, the propaganda of it is that we're all going to come together, kumbaya, yada, yada, and we're going to rise up against the evil rich people. But what's different with this style of Marxism and, you know, Marxism leads to socialism leads to communism is you don't have it as like the workers are going to rise up and create this communist stateless society where there aren't evil rich owning people. What do you do when you have communists and people who hate you based on your identity? That's pretty dangerous. So I, I, that's like I said, with what happened with Hitler and Nazi Germany, that's when you have people trying to eliminate other groups of people. And, you know, that's definitely not happening in America right now. I don't want you to think that, but I'm just saying that kind of mentality is what leads to people trying to eliminate entire groups of people like we saw in Rwanda and with other genocides throughout the world. So I think that's going to be something interesting to pay attention to where you have cultural Marxists and communists who care more about that kind of identity not necessarily the wealth status of those people. And you're about to see what happens here too with what No Name says. So No Name replies and she said, quote, class consciousness is impossible if we do not tend to the question of race and global anti-blackness. I don't give an F about building solidarity with a class of poor white folks who refuse to acknowledge the way they support and re reproduce anti-black violence, end quote. So again, 
she doesn't care about the wealth status. She's not saying, let's all unite as workers. I'm a communist and we all need to reunite as workers and, and rise up against the owning class. She's saying, I really don't give a crap about poor white people or what their wealth status is. I just don't like them because they're white people. So then someone replies to her and says, quote, it's so easy for comfortable people to generalize the politics of poor people of any race to justify why they deserve to suffer. We are all a product of the culture we're raised in. You have to change the system to change the people. So I didn't know how to really take this. I take it as her telling no name that there is a better way to fix problems in culture than just hating on others and hoping they suffer because they don't share your exact thoughts or your exact experience or culture or identity. And I think that's a really good point. Like if leftists really want structural change, it's not going to happen by forcing it through government. And I think, you know, conservatives, here's the problem is conservatives are always so focused on, you know, the strong individual, strong family. And I fully believe in that too. Our problem is that we kind of stop right there. We aren't trying to take over major corporations. We aren't trying to take over the establishment or the system. We believe it starts from the individual. The left thinks if they just solve the system, it's going to fix everything. No, because individuals have souls and hopes and dreams and passions and we're unique. And so both sides kind of fall short on this concept in different ways. Um, But to finish it off, no name replies. And she says, quote, I didn't say anyone deserves to suffer. I said I will not be in solidarity with white people just because they experience poverty under capitalism. The masses of white people have continuously stood in opposition to black liberation. So again, just kind of reiterating that, I won't say it too much, but what we have there is her pitting certain groups of people against each other as a communist and promoting the lack of care and uh, really just the ignoring of an entire group of people's humanity and, and their ability to not be poor. So she's kind of rejecting that, saying that they can they really suffer? Should I really care? Because they're white and they don't share my experiences. And that right there is cultural Marxism, pitting people against each other for their identity. Okay, so my my big lesson in all of this, I hope that you guys can see this, is that the left's reaction to shootings in Atlanta and Boulder and what we're probably going to see down the road, not in, in terms of shootings, I hope that doesn't happen again, but in any really politicized situation, you're going to see them play the race card because when tragedy occurs, they are going to be less concerned about finding the root of the problem of sitting down at the table with us, you know, and really agreeing that, oh, capitalism and classical liberalism are the best. We need to sit together with our representative form of government and work to find solutions. They could care less about that, or they couldn't care less about that. And so they're more focused, not on finding the root of the problem, but instead of of seizing the opportunity of the crisis and assuming or even creating the narrative that it had to do with race or identity. Um, I have one question that I'll add into this before I close up, you guys. Someone asked, what the heck has happened to MLK's legacy? And that is a perfect question for my episode on cultural Marxism. So first, considering uh, MLK's speech said, quote, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I can't imagine he'd be thrilled to know that that's exactly what happens in America. That's exactly the opposite, actually. We judge people based on their identity, based on their skin color, based on who they love, based on what their religion is, based on how much money they have. We don't give a crap about their character anymore, and we have absolutely no grace as society. I think MLK was a really graceful person, and he believed in in showing grace to others, even though they were faulty and even though their character struggled. Sometimes he believed in them, and he believed they could be redeemed. So that was a really beautiful thing. On top of that, he was 
also about unity, you guys. So while today's American left are cultural Marxists who are literally trying to exploit identities in our country to purposely divide us based on our identity and promote division for policy goals that they have for the country, it's, it's just incredibly disappointing. That is not what MLK would probably want again. And I'm not going to speak on his behalf, of course, but just considering what he said before, I highly doubt he'd be pretty happy right now. And last, he was also, I believe, really about results, about solving problems, finding solutions, acting in a way that will get you results. I mean, the marches that he led, the speeches that he gave, the way he spoke to others, it got serious results. And that is something that inspires me. I'm sure it inspires many people involved in politics and involved in community advocacy. It's all about being effective, okay? I'm also a conservative, so I hate lacking effectiveness and efficiency. I want to be as effective and efficient as possible in what I'm doing, whether that's my private work, whether that's something I'm doing in business, whether it's something I'm doing in politics, in messaging, about a political issue. I care about that stuff. I care about having an actual impact. I think Martin Luther King Jr. was all about that too in his goals. And right now, what the left is doing and what we're doing in America is we are just rushing to politicize and divide each other when crisis occurs instead of waiting to understand the facts, waiting to find out what happened and why it happened. And it's it's never going to get us to a place where we can achieve serious solutions or unity or grace for others, where we can come together. I mean, I think we're pretty far from a moment where we are going to come together and sing Kumbaya. <laughs> it's going to be quite a while. But the problem is we're totally off base if we are ever going to try and find solutions to solve the problems like what happened in Atlanta and Colorado over the last week. So you guys, thanks so much for listening. I hope this, you know, opened your eyes and your ears a little bit to what we're experiencing with cultural Marxism with that concept of the left isn't just, you know, being super crazy and woke these days. They're actually intentionally doing this and splitting us up based on race because they thrive in division and chaos and crisis. So I uh, hope that helps. Thanks so much for listening and joining me in this lovely conversation. If you could share this with friends, let them know that I do this every week uh, and that we'll kind of talk about current events and then a little twist of a little education in there as well uh, subscribe to youtube subscribe to the podcast leave a five-star review if you haven't yet like i said they really help out a newbie like me and uh yeah i'll see you next wednesday thank you so much appreciate it bye bye